What's up, everybody? It's LG Set here. You're listening to The First Mint, a podcast where I talk about NFTs and the world of Web3. The podcast comes out every Monday morning and occasionally on Wednesdays. If you like this content and you want some more, feel free to visit our Twitter page at The First Mint. My guest today is Tasha from Tasha Labs. She has a PhD in macroeconomics and somebody that I've only been following recently. Mainly, I came about her through some of her fantastic threads about tokenization, case studies, use case, everything that is going into crypto. And I'll tell you right now that she is not too crazy about NFTs. She does admit that she owns some, but she really doesn't think that there's much use case for them. And and honestly, hearing her talk and, and even kind of ruminating in some of my thoughts in the last couple of weeks, I tend to agree with her. It's been fun. It's been an interesting couple of years on NFTs, but the current state of them is something that will clearly need to change for it to be flavorful, for it to be something topical in the next bull run. She even goes as far as to compare today's NFTs from a technology standpoint to typewriters, where, yeah, some people collect antique typewriters, but nobody really uses them. There's no actual use case for them because today there's far better technology for doing what typewriters are meant to do, which is like writing a letter. It's an interesting analogy. It's one that I've never really heard or, or, or heard you know somebody use in terms of re- referencing how early we are with NFTs. The main reason I want to have Tasha on is actually to talk about her expertise looking at economics. There, I can't really think of anybody more qualified than her than to tell us more about the macroeconomic conditions that are going on right now. And she does reaffirm a lot of the stuff that we know, or at least you might know if you're reading the news, you're keeping track of interest rates and war and all the stuff going on in the world. She does reaffirm a lot of that, and it is good to hear it from somebody who's confident and who definitely knows what they are talking about. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tasha from Tasha Labs on the first Ladies and gentlemen of the First Mint, we're a very special treat for you today. Tasha from Tasha Labs, someone I've followed for quite some time. Her content is very good. She's a PhD in macroeconomics. It's also one of my favorite content creators. And I honestly don't know what she's going to tell us today. She told us that she might have some harsh truths for us about the crypto market, about the market in general, but I'm going to leave it to her. Tasha, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. What let's, I always want to start. You know, and it's very typical to do this on podcasts and interviews, but I want to know, when did when did crypto first land on your radar? How long have you uh, been in crypto or have you have you followed crypto, let's say? Yeah. So um, uh, like you mentioned, my, my background is in uh, macroeconomics. I've been uh, in macroeconomic consulting for over 10 years. And I'm also a tech founder. I um, own a SaaS company, software as a service company. Kassian-wise in audio publishing space. So uh, when I look at crypto, it's from this uh, synergy between economics and uh, breakthrough technology. So I think I have a pretty unique point of view from that perspective. Uh, in terms of crypto, you know, I, I've been, this is something that uh, when Bitcoin first came out, I think I first got to know about, heard about Bitcoin in like 2013, 2014. But at the time, it really didn't really um, didn't really interest me, to be honest. It just felt like uh, a you know pie in the sky experiment, right? Mm. And even to this day, 
Um, that is not something that I find particularly interesting, which is a store value asset has some better features than gold, let's say. Um, is that groundbreaking or world-changing? I don't think so. But it, can it be a store value asset? Yeah, sure. Uh, it could be. So, but what really interested me um, was, uh, you know, after a DeFi summer in 2020, um, when I started using some of the DeFi product uh, during the pandemic, that's when I realized mm, this is actually much bigger than I originally thought. And uh, so the previous, also, I have some friends uh, also in the startup circles were, you know, doing like uh, 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 blockchain related uh, startup ideas in like 20, back in 2016, 2017. At that time, it felt like those ideas were solutions looking for problems. Um, and, uh, and and I, I wasn't like too much uh, interested at the time either, but it was really after after DeFi started um, that I started paying more attention and uh, started thinking about the space more and more and, and invest in the space too. What, what, I guess, I guess maybe a, a more appropriate question then, Tash is saying that you, you know, you're thinking very much about like the use case of tech, right? And as a founder yourself mm-hmm. as well, what, what would you say, uh, and it's okay if the answer has changed over time, but initially when you, yeah. you got into it, DeFi summer, you're interested, what was the use case that you were, were, were kind of keen on at the time? Like you said, it definitely has changed over time. When I first used in DeFi, I was really impressed just by the user experience and how easy it is mm-hmm. to actually exchange different assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that was quite shocking at the time. It was like, uh, um, I remember the first time I used a DEX or something, and I, afterwards I, I, I just lied on the couch for a few hours and just think, trying to think this through, you know, because it was so... It was a paradigm-shifting kind of experience. Uh, I'm not really exaggerating because because I, I'm very used to, you know, trading assets, investing in assets using, like, a centralized platforms. Um, but it's, a, like, a very different experience. And you didn't realize that was actually a very cumbersome experience mm-hmm. <laughs> until, mm-hmm. until um, you know, I started using DeFi, right? And I realized, oh, this can be so much better. And then over time, I started to see really, you know, if we're talking about like the use case, I'm sure you've heard about this before, is the internet of value. We, we have the possibility to have public plaf- platforms that open and permissionless to allow any type of values to be exchanged under a unified standard, such as like ERC-20 is an example of the unified standard. And it's something that, so basically anybody can create something on this plat- platform to then can create a representation of value on this platform and trade with any other values around the world and have liquidity for that. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the groundbreaking part. And that to me is the, you know, it is the part that the, basically tokenization with liquidity and mm-hmm. on the global scale, open permissionless that is going to allow so much innovation to happen and that is going to give 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 the give voice give representation of so many hidden values that we create in society and as a result create additional layer of gdp and create additional you know professions and uh, and in investment classes and so on and so forth that that is that how you felt at, at first because it sounds like that's kind of your current bull case as well 
or you're at least you're, yes. what do you yeah that, you that's now? that's where i am right now that's my current bookcase for the web3 space it's it's a but it's a for it's a general outlook about the industry about where the internet values is going it does not mean necessarily you know a bull or bear case for any specific tokens or any specific platforms can you compare that can you can like contextualize that for me even further because if that's something that's like i agree with you it's like the, the exchange of value uh, internationally is is incredibly valuable is that is that do you see that primarily as a financial exchange right like it, like as in as in i'm assuming when you were using the dexes like uniswap or something like that you were you know i guess blown away that you could just swap uh you know eth to usdc to uni to link to whatever you wanted is that is that the primary like use case of just being able to trade different currencies or do you are you talking about a whole different world of possibilities there i'm talking about any kind of assets can have a representation on chain in the form of a token whether it's fungible or non-fungible and because they're of unified standard and it's a global network open access it allows a possibility to give liquidity and you know create secondary markets on so many different types of values mm-hmm. so i know that's that still sounds kind of abstract, right? So because the reason it's kind of abstract is because uh, we don't have all that many good examples yet. A big problem right now is that we, we have tokenization, but we don't have a lot of uh, actual values backing that tokenization, right? So most of the Web3 applications to this day are what I see as the dog chasing its own tail. It's like a project created around the tokenization, but the project itself does not necessarily has a user demand or or create a value added. A prime example for this is um, Play to Earn, which has been, you know, super hot over the past year. But if you look at most of Play to Earn, quote-unquote games, they are not really like traditional games that people are attracted to play because it's addictive, because it's relaxing, because you just love playing. And that in itself is a value added in people's life, right? But play-to-earn games, people play the so-called games because it's just a a more active form of yield farming, of earning polynomic tokens. So the product, the underlying product itself does not create sufficient value added. So I see a bull case going forward is to, you know, if we figure out how to combine tokenization with products and services that actually has value added and then give a, you know, more, uh, give give a representation of those value added on a public platform like a blockchain, I think that would be a more sustainable, you know, bull case for the industry. Is that is that something that you think would drive adoption, finding that finding that more appropriate use case, let's say? Something I recently wrote about is, uh, you know, integration of uh, tokenization into Web2 products. Basically, you see these, uh, you know, people call Web2.5 kind of projects, combining traditional or Web2 products and services with tokenization. 
So I, I think that would be a driver of adoption. It will be the it would not be the end all be all, but it would be the next stage driver of adoption for a more broad based adoption of of uh, blockchain and crypto assets because that will get people who do not trade tokens are not into speculation are not in are not like hardcore degens into actually you know stepping into the blockchain or web3 universe through some products and services that they are already using in their daily life like i've been talking to quite a few projects who that are traditional companies successful companies and they're now thinking of tokenization either having community tokens or tokenize their loyalty programs or have you know using tokenization as a fundraising mechanism reward mechanism all these uh, different ideas are coming out and uh, people are pursuing these ideas i think will drive at least uh, be a big part of the driver of next leg of adoption do you think it's something that people is it something that they're going to choose to do or is it something that's going to be kind of you know forced on them because it's something like looking at other I guess like larger use cases of something like email was something that I feel like at first was a cool like nerdy thing to use email and people thought there'd never be a use case for that and then and then at some point you could only you needed an email address and it's something that people maybe didn't want to do or even think social media was the same way that there's a point where it's like you needed a Facebook account to be part of this group or to RSVP to this event. And it's something that people were reluctant to do, even if there was a use case for them. Like, is that, is that the future for the masses that eventually, you know, their bank is just going to give them a crypto wallet and say, you have to use this now or their loyalty program, their airline is going to say, sorry, your loyalty program is like, you have to get this, you know, uh, wallet and it's on Polygon and now that's where you're going to accrue your air miles, right? Is that, is that, is that, will people, will it be forced on people or will they gladly I don't think you adopt? can force people to do anything uh, for real adoption. People has to, people ha- have to see what's in it for them, right? And in this case, what's in it for them is pretty clear. Like using the example that you just gave, if your airline has a loyalty program and now the airline tells you, oh, it has to be in this token form, how does that benefit you? It benefits you tremendously because now your loyalty tokens are tradable. On a secondary market, you can have immediate liquidity. Previously, your loyalty token only, you cannot transfer or sell it to anybody else. So it's really a mechanism for airlines to do differentiated pricing. So if you imagine if you suddenly give a secondary market for that token, for that loyalty token, now everybody can trade these tokens. You, you know, you have more incentive to accumulate these tokens because uh, now it's like immediate cash for you. So, so it's definitely more a benefit on the consumer side to have liquidity for the values that they accumulate. On the producer side, on the company side, that is a different question because that means a pretty dramatic change to their existing business model. So if you're an airline, you have a loyalty program that relies on 
basically this differentiated pricing by sales volume. Oh, you, you, you fly more, and we give you a more discounted price. This business model is very different from, oh, now all the loyalties are in token format, which is tradable on chain in on secondary market. That means you're giving pretty much everybody the same discount. Because if I want to have some discount, I just buy some miles, right? So in the equilibrium, in the perfect like the equilibrium state, you're giving everybody the same discount. So that is an entirely different model than what the airline programs are running today. So that's on, on the company side, that's, that's something they, they've got to think about, the trade-offs, the benefit and cost of having liquidity. So how, how are they going to do that, Tasha? Like you were saying, you already talked to some companies, and we we you know we first met. We we, we work with some brands as well, both as um, you know we we they they advertise on our platforms, and we also uh, consult and chat with some of them. And that is really hard for some people to understand that it's like you are going to be you know selling a product, or at least from the NFT perspective, it's like you're selling people a product, but then they the the, the consumer is going to be able to retain the value and trade it on their own and have full custody of it and do whatever they want. And that's something that's really new for people, right? Outside of uh, companies that are used to having their, you know, sneakers resold or, or, or you know, uh, baseball cards or something like that. That's normal. But for a lot of other products, that's brand new. In your experience, I'm assuming like you might be having some of these conversations, or even if you're not as an outside observer, what is that shift going to be like? And are, and, and, and are some of these companies going to be able to do that? Like any adoption, this is going to be not like uh, every company will be doing this uh, overnight, right? It's going to be, you will have some leaders. You will have some companies that start experimenting and hit a jackpot and like uh discover this as a new marketing or growth mechanism. It's like uh, the same thing was, you know, 10, 15 years ago when the social media uh, just started. If you're the first person advertised on Facebook or you're the first 10 people advertised on Google, you did really, really well. Now today, <laughs> if you do Facebook advertising and Google advertising, it's like, like something... That everybody has got to do because it's like a standard marketing channel. Otherwise, how are you going to find your customers? But the return from those channels have greatly diminished, right? So because everybody are doing them. Now, you will have the same thing with uh, tokenization as a growth or marketing mechanism. Is that you will have innovative companies that have the you know financial backing or have the vision to take some risk in exploring this as a new growth hack or growth mechanism and if they succeed other people will follow so that's you know you start to see more and more companies are thinking in this line and trying different approaches in terms of their tokenomics in terms of how the thing is designed, who does it, who, who, who do they distribute to, how much value do they give their uh, token holders, how, do, how does this integrate with their actual product. You have different thoughts and different experiments going on. At some point, we will see some breakthrough and other people will follow. Tasha, let's, I, wanna, I do want to chat more on the um, 
don't know where the right, right where to put this is. You, you, you referred to hardcore DJs, and I feel like that is what many of us are here uh, at the First Mint and in our community is that, you know, we... We many of us started in Top Shot and we've kind of held on and now we've you know we've 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 probably flipped some great JPEGs we've we've got we've maybe some of us have st- started have have tried staking in the past and definitely most of us got absolutely wrecked in the last couple months and that's okay it's our maybe for some of us it's our first time around or at least to this extent and and you know I think many of us are happy to be here. What I'd love to ask you is this 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 down cycle this bear market. Is this something, you know, and you, you, you by far are probably the most qualified person that we've had on the show, you know, being a PhD in macroeconomics and living and breathing this type of stuff. I'm assuming this bear market, did you, did you, did you see this coming? Did you see, did you know or have a feeling that crypto would, would implode as much as it has? The answer is yes and no, in the sense that since last year, later last year, the Fed had been pretty clear in terms of in their forward guidance, in terms of what they're going to do this year, which is going to tighten, right? And their stance has been increasingly hawkish. So at the beginning of this year, we started seeing liquidity growth started uh, not going down, but the acceleration is starting to slow. And that reflect that reflects the general tightening of financial conditions in the risk asset space, not just crypto, but you know, for other asset classes as well. Reflecting the shift in the stance of the central bank. And we live in a time financial markets really look to the central bank for direction. And the central bank actions has a really disproportionately high impact on financial market, on the risk assets, compared to most of the time in history. So in that sense, I did see that coming in terms of, oh, we probably have more volatilities in the market and we are going to trend down this year. That was my stance at the beginning of this year. However, what I did not see coming is the magnitude and the speed of this drop. At the beginning of the year, I thought, oh, if the quantitative tightening going to start in the second half of the year, which it just started in June, right? I thought that is going to be the biggest impact on market liquidity. So at the time I saw the first half of the year, we will have increased increased volatility, but you know, would not have a, as big of a price drop as we have seen till now. So that was a surprise to me. I think the reason for that is because we really got hit by, you know, several shocks all at the same time. We had a central bank, uh, U.S. Federal Reserve, primarily change its monetary stance. Pretty drastically took a, uh, you know, U-turn in a very short period of time. Secondly, we had Inflation situation worldwide, especially in advanced countries like the United States, going up. Inflation going up dramatically, and that in itself is a liquidity tightening mechanism because when prices are higher, you have households and companies have to spend more money on buying the same things. That means they have less money left to buy anything else, including risk assets. 
So that is the financial timing, and also we had the Ukraine war, and that created um, also you know affected negative affected liquidity in the financial market and affected sentiment, and of. Also feed into the inflation situation. So we had all these、uh, shocks coming together, and also at the time I didn't factor in what I didn't factor in is the deleveraging impact in crypto and how much spillover that is going to create to the rest of the sector. We had several large players, crypto funds. Going down, and that created this domino effect into the rest of the sector. That deleveraging impact it is much higher than than I previously expected. So as a result, we are where we are, right? So we have the crypto total market cap right now is like a、uh, hundred to nine hundred billion. To me, this this cycle feels. Not identical, but has a lot of similarity to me, compared to the、uh, dot com bubble burst in two thousands. Now I know in previous crypto cycles, people also say that. In twenty eighteen, you heard people say, "Oh, this is the dot com of crypto." But to me, this this one we had is more similar to dot com of crypto. Why? Because we are first of all, we are at a similar. I would say adoption stage. We're at like crypto users. You you read different statistics, different、uh, m- metrics. They give you different measures. But I would say, maybe like three、uh, hundred to four hundred million people worldwide, more or less actively have used a crypto product. So that's the like adoption base. About five percent of the world population. If you go back to two thousand, you look at how much how much is the in- internet penetration at the time. It was at a similar point, and also you're at a stage where you have these products. Right now we have Web three product. Back then you had dot coms. It it seems like they they sound good on paper and they seem to have a certain degree of product market fit, but it's really not quite there yet. The infrastructure is not quite there yet. The business model is not quite there yet. The adoption user underlying user base is not quite there yet. But it created a lot of hypes. And thirdly, you also have a situation that the central bank like drastically tightening its monetary stance. That's also a backdrop backdrop that was、uh, similar to what happened before two thousand crash. And arguably, this this time we had、uh, on a bigger scale. The tightening is on a more drastic and and faster scale. So all these looking together, I think this cycle bust had a lot of similarity to post two thousand. Now, if you look at the magnitude of Nasdaq drop after post dot com over a year and a half after the dot com bubble. First, you compare that percentage drop to where we are now. You know, you kind of、uh, you know applying the same percentage to the crypto market cap. We are kind of, kind of halfway there right now. We our our you know top crypto、uh, market cap last year reached at the height was like three close to three trillion. 
Now we are at under 1 trillion, all right? If you apply the same percentage drop of dot-com to this crypto cycle, that means we are heading to about, uh, you know, 500 billion also. Obviously, the history rhymes, they don't repeat. You're not going to get exactly <laughs> the same, right? But just to give you an idea of the magnitude, you know, if you, if you apply the previous uh, similar situation kind of scenario, we are about halfway there. That's okay. That's okay, Tasha. That's, 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 that's okay. I don't, <laughs> that's, I think that's something I think at least personally for me, I've come to, I feel like I've come to accept that. It's like, I know that there's more um, bleeding. What is, I mean, you've given us a great picture of like the, the macro conditions literally that, that have affected this. What are you, so are you looking at this? You're thinking that this will continue through the year. Right. And I'm assuming it's like a lot of the same factors you just mentioned. It's like, well, they're not really done yet. Right. Like the the quantitative, uh, the quantitative tightening, the war, all that stuff. It's like that's still happening. How do we know, Tasha, like what I mean, and again, this is it's impossible to time the bottom. Right. And that's obviously a very like trader trader mindset. But what um, how do we develop like, you know, if we're if, again, we're, we're say we're relatively new to the market here. How do we zoom out and look at like the length of something like this bear market? Like how do how do it not? And again, I'm just veiling the way to ask for how do you look at the bottom? But that's still like that's still I think a really important question for many of us. Of you know, if you're telling us like we're we're only halfway there, is do we just use market cap as that factor? Like is that what we should do, or or how else can we kind of uh, develop that 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 gauge on our own? Oh, um, I don't think it's going to be a straight line, right? We're not going to just go from 900 to 500, uh, you know, in a, in a ski slope, uh, go down there. Um, I expect we will see some uptrend at some point. We've been seeing a little in the past couple weeks. <laughs> we probably hit a local bottom somewhere in the middle of June, right? So... But you do, do, do I know how long this bounce is going to last? I don't. So do, do I know when we're going to see some bounce like in the bear market? I don't. <laughs> there are traders who use a more like a short term, you know, supply demand indicators, but that's a totally different framework. Right. So in terms of <laughs> what do people do? I know such a million dollar question is, uh, um, I, I, I think uh, as a investor, the the thing about crypto is uh, for for many people that I talk to, the the really interesting thing about crypto is that because it's like uh, DeFi is like suddenly got so complicated, like right out of the gate, um, it it kind of motivated a lot of people to learn about financial markets. Through crypto, like that was like a gateway drug mm -hmm. <laughs> to learn about trading, to learn about investing for many people. Yeah. So I would say instead of trying to see where the market bottom is, use this opportunity to really learn about investing, learn about trading, whether to, to find an approach that works for you. It's really... I think it's a, it's also a, 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 a journey to know yourself. 
your own temperament is going to decide what approach works for you. Are you going to be a long-term holder investor or are you going to be a type that flip NFTs every day? So that requires totally different like personality types. <laughs> you may do one type of one 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 approach may may work well for you, the other approach may not depending on your personality, but you could be successful in either as long as it fits you. So I would say use this opportunity. Use this uh, kind of time slowdown in the bear market as an opportunity to, to invest more in those knowledge. Figure out a way that works for you, whether it's short-term trading, long-term, medium-term, whatever works well for you. And in terms of, in, in terms of uh, um, you know, market actions, market operations, I think many, many great investors will tell you that it's really what's, 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 uh, what's the most key is uh, risk management and portfolio management. So you got to learn to manage your risk. <laughs> Especially in, I think, in such a volatile market, it, it really the market teaches you you've got to manage your risk no matter what, right? Whether it's bear market, bull market. And then portfolio, and in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, how do you see your portfolio? The thing is, I think probably maybe it applies to this audience. I know it applies to many people in the crypto space. I have friends that, you know, live and breathe this space day in and day out. This is the whole world to them, right? And it's a pretty, pretty big part of the world for me, too. I'm fascinated about the space. That's why I write so much about it. <laughs> it's very addictive. But the yeah. thing is, it is a very, very small piece of pie of the entire investment space. This is like we are talking about under, right now it's under $1 trillion market cap. The whole space adding together. NFT even smaller. Oh, yeah. So, yes, so it's a, it's a, it's a very small space. It's fast growing for sure. <laughs> so that's why people are fascinated about this because it, you know, feeds on the whole PM of this is a way to get rich faster. But it's a, it, but it's a, it's a still a very small piece of the entire world of assets that you can invest in. So, and also keep in mind, we are also at a stage about the infrastructure of the space. Now, we can say the big picture is internet values. Everything will be tradable, open public platform. People can build on top and uh, assets will be programmable. We'll have tokenization of so many more things compared to what we have now. The world will be totally changed. Yes, all very good. But what platforms will that be built on? What actual shape will that take? To me, that is an open question. The Bitcoin chain, forget it, does not remotely have the capacity to, to become Internet of Values. Okay? Mm -hmm. Ethereum, the main chain, forget it. Now, but we also have, nowadays, you have other layer one chains, you have layer two rollups on uh, Ethereum, trying to scale, everybody is trying to scale, trying to get more decentralized. 
you have all these exciting experiments going on, and that's very true, very exciting. Some of them look quite promising, but keep in mind, all of this is quite experimental. We are this this Web three technology space, infrastructure space, is so far away from being mature tech. What we have in Bitcoin chain and Ethereum chain, to me, they are sort of a proof of concept, sort of a you know, first rendition of what a Internet of Values can look like. Would that be the final? Would that be the mature way? Ten, twenty years, thirty years down the road. What infrastructure that Internet of Values will be built on? I don't know. May well not be these chains. It could be. It could be not. I have no idea, because we are in a very early stage experimental space. But what I do know is, there's no way that with current infrastructure we are going to have Internet of Values. No way. You just do the math. How many times you swipe your credit card in a day? Five, ten, fifteen. Time that by the number of population, three hundred million population in the, in the United States alone. Okay, so we're talking about three to four billion transactions in the United States alone per day. Which blockchain can handle that? How the infrastructure going to evolve in the future? I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think if you keep that in mind, put. In, in the back of your head, when you when you invest in any kind of tokens, that is a we you're investing in a experimental technology. So, do you want to put a large chunk of your net worth into experimental technology? That's something that you gotta you gotta consider. It, of course, depends on your your stage of life, depends on. Your income stream, right? All, all, all of those things, but you gotta s- see this in the bigger picture of the portfolio of your whole life. So that also extends to NFT. I wanted to ask you, Tasha, like on that is that you know one of my favorite quotes of yours um, was uh, from a, a thread I think you had last month or recently was uh, you were asked what's left in the product or project if you take the token away for 95% of Web3 products today? The answer is nothing, which is actually like uh, kind of where you left us your last answer there of just, you know, how does that apply to NFTs and how does that use case and what what is that going to be for people and what is that, um, you know, what part of the infrastructure is that contributing to? I don't know how, how deep you are into NFTs, but clearly, you know, a lot of people listening are going to be there. You know, we're, we're thinking right now, a lot of people are thinking like, hey, I've got maybe maybe I've got a mutant. Uh, maybe I've got an Azuki. Maybe I've got a uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever other, you know, blue chip project, let's call them, which is mm-hmm. I, I still find it's kind of funny to call any NFT a blue chip at this point. Uh, but a lot of people are, might have a lot of emotional attachment to some of the stuff they're holding the the value of those has probably gone down 60 to 80% in the last 2 months and people are really thinking like well which one of these am i going to hold which one of these is going to be the next uh the next nike or the next supreme or the next big brand and do you know am i holding a piece of that or, or a future holder if i hold an ape do i just want to go to a music festival every year is that the main use case a lot of people are trying to figure that out right now right and i feel like a lot of what you're telling us tasha is 
you know, you're looking at it from a, a scale and infrastructure standpoint. I think many of us in the NFT market are looking at it from a cultural standpoint. Which of these will be relevant? Which of these will truly become great, fantastic brands that are that are that are in every store uh, or that are that are that are the, you know, the, the Starbucks of the future, in a sense? How do we I don't know if you're, you're even able to, to, to answer that, if you're comfortable answering that. But I think for a lot of us right now, we're trying to figure out how, how to know what we don't know, right? There is no possible way to know which NFTs will win long term. But I think that that's a, a very hard decision many of us are trying to make right now of, you know, if we've got three or four highly valued JPEGs, we know maybe the price will go down another 50, 70 percent sometime soon. We've got to we want to we want to liquidate some. What do we do? How do we choose? How do we choose? What criteria do we invent for ourselves to even evaluate that right now? Oh, um, you know, I, I don't I don't trade NFTs, um, but you know, I own some NFTs, but it's mostly for fun. And I have some NFTs that I, you know, the profile picture type of NFTs, which how, how I look at this uh, NFT tech is is. Uh, 20 years from now, there's going to be the typewriters. These, these are going to be the typewriters mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, mainframe computers uh, in 20 years. And in tw- so, so today, if I'm a typewriter collector, that, that could be like some old typewriters can, can, can be worth a lot, right? Are, are there a lot of typewriters that are worth a lot? No. I, I do think this batch of NFT technology, the concept of NFT, is something I'm very bullish about. The execution of current NFT, I think that's going to be obsolete, you know, in in the in the medium term. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 way that we do NFTs, that we create NFTs, I I, I don't I cannot call them high tech. <laughs> I cannot I cannot call them any kind of robust tech. You know, I give you an example. I uh, this is actually not a new critique, but when when Twitter came out with their profile picture, they they allow you to have um, NFTs as as your profile picture, right? Yeah. When that came out, I was like, hmm, this sounds like fun. I'm going to create an NFT and use that as my profile picture. So I created an NFT. I deploy an NFT on Ethereum. Cost me like a thousand dollars back then like gas fees are still super expensive. And so I have the metadata stored in AWS. And basically what's what's on chain is just that URL linking to your metadata. So that metadata first when I when I kind of try to view it on OpenSea, I couldn't see it. And then it took me hours to figure out, oh, there's any like extra comma in my metadata file. So I had to get rid of that. You know, that has nothing to do with, with my on-chain deployment. So because I'm at a data part, you can, I can change it at will. And since that, I have changed it multiple times. I changed that picture associated with that NFT on my Twitter profile. I just, you know, any day I get tired of the old picture, I put a new one in. It's the same NFT. Does that make sense? I, I don't think so. Is this robust technology? Definitely not, because... This picture I stored on AWS, metadata stored on AWS, I can change it to whatever I want, <laughs> pointing to the same hash. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that the technology has a long way to go. 
will will we see like a fifty years later we will have some kind of uh, cultural values left for some collectible items that created in this era? Yeah, sure, we'll probably have some, but that does not apply to ninety nine percent of the NFT collections today. I don't think so. Interesting, interesting theory. I like that. I I do think that there's more there's more cultural merit to it, and I think that that's what's drawn a lot of people in, but. I do also agree with you that the the technology standpoint is not really it can go a lot further and I think it will and I think that that hopefully I I, I hope that that does kind of overtake everything that we have been doing uh, or at least a big part of what we have been doing in NFTs. Although I will say a lot of people there's going to be a market I think for a very long time for for hardcore degens to trade jpegs. I think that that that's totally. a part that's always going to exist, you know, even totally. if it's just yeah. Exactly. So so my my point is this is probably not something, at least to me, this is not something that I would hold for 50 years as an investment item. Mm. So if I were to play the NFTs, it will be for trade. It will be to, to catch the bubble and burst. We will have these uh, cycles. Um, we probably will have several of these cycles mm. until... Uh, the, the technology gradually matures. Right. And uh, as, a, as a trader, you can catch those waves or try to catch those waves, play with, with those, uh, those cycles. But as a long-term investment, to me, I don't think so. <laughs> what, what, how do you define success in crypto? Like, what, what is this, like when has crypto been successful? Like, when is it mission accomplished for everything in blockchain? When we stop thinking of this thing as a sector, when there's no longer a group of people that is uh, thinking of themselves as missionaries for crypto, <laughs> when this question no longer exists because <laughs> because it's just a part of everything we do. It's like uh, today, is there a internet? Uh, is the is there a internet sec- sector? Or it's just uh, something everybody uses every day. It's something that it's in every sector. Every company has a website. You know, you 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 have to do do things online. You have to use the cloud, and you know, every Mm -hmm. day, probably every hour. So that that will be the success (laughs) to me. Last absolute last question for you, Tasha. For your podcast, your art is is you riding a whale in space. Tell me a little bit more about that. That was uh, when I wanted a logo, right? I thought I will want I want something out of the box. I want something that has a little bit surprise value when people first look at it. So I kind of used a random word generator, uh, put a bunch of uh, random words together, and including me, put put in there, and I give it to a artist. I said, "Well, try to figure something out of this." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got several ideas out of it, and this is the idea I picked. It's a it's a female astronaut riding a humpback whale in the sky. Uh, is it is it supposed to be you? Uh, it's it's a it's a it's Sasha. Yes, it's a metaverse representation of me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Tasha, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, this has been a great. It's been great to talk to somebody who who views the market in that broader sense. Um, I think we learned a lot today, so thank you so much. Thanks, it's been fun. 
that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that convo. And as usual, hit us up on Twitter or on our newsletter comments. We have comments in the newsletter now to let us know what you thought. Give us your thoughts on what is going on out there in the economic world. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on The First 